0: Men rising up to end the silence around us about the chains that bind us, to dispel the darkness of illusion with luminous spiritual technologies, to finally become the hero within us all. This is Arise the Honest Man's podcast, episode 51, our pen ultimate episode of the year. And we are uh, deeply enlivened and grateful to have these most esteemed guests with us, uh, Guru Charana Padma Devi, as well as Kripa Moi Prabhu. And uh, they are joining us now for episode nine, or let's say the ninth installment of our conscious relationships series. And um, it's actually, it's, it's really funny. You know, we, we, we are not the number one Hare Krishna podcast in the world. We know, we know who that belongs to. <laughs> but, um, you know, actually, Kripa Moipu and, uh, and uh, Mother Guru they are currently in the house of our dear friend and brother namrasprabhu um you know their daughter is tulsi who's married to namras and uh, then of course her lovely sister Janavi, also um so anyway we're, we're so fortunate to have you uh, as jai was saying um this is going to be you're you're definitely the most senior couple we've featured so far for our conscious relationship series um Some other we've we've only I think Makunda and Madurika were like the oldest couple, yeah. and they're like they're like forty somethings. So um, so yeah, we're 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 just incredibly Whoa. enlivened at the prospect of, you know, soaking up your wisdom, as jai says. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining us and availing yourselves.
1: We feel so honored that you asked us <laughs> <laughs> for us to uh, feel confident to. Uh... You know be on your podcast because we know you hit you know you hit to the core of the issues. <laughs> <laughs> we we <laughs>
2: promise not to ask anything controversial for this episode. We just want your wisdom for how to have a successful relationship as is common knowledge now in our community. Um a huge percentage of our devotees don't survive their marriages. Um and so the idea is so why I talk about that let's highlight the successes and how what principles were applied for them to be successful and you guys I don't know how long have you guys been married for uh
1: next year will be 40 years
2: <laughs> Whoa, that's like that's inconceivable for our generation so far all of the guests we've had on it have been 10 or 12 years which is itself inconceivable for our generation so 40 <laughs> years is like mind-boggling and yeah we want to hear what makes it possible what makes it successful and in that way give hope and encouragement and enlightenment to the next generation of devotees coming up so that's the purpose of this podcast is not to get too crazy or controversial or anything funny like that so just be peaceful <laughs> i i i'm i'm like i'm so
0: curious to 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 begin at the point where you know because In the early days of the movement like we've certainly heard some very interesting stories of how you know couples got together where like you know like someone was flown out to a different continent to go and marry someone that they've never met you know and like all kinds of really interesting stories so I'm super curious just to hear going back right to the beginning um, how did the two of you actually get together, and what what was your journey of courtship like?
2: <laughs> Shall I begin? <laughs>
1: well, like, I, ladies I, first, that's I you say. I I say ours was an arranged marriage, meaning I arranged it. <laughs> 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 uh, like um, I, I was a sankirtan devotee at the time on the ladies sankirtan party, and so uh, I was, you know, by Krishna's mercy, I was, you know. I, well, it was in, in very enlivened and very successful. And so I could have the pick of anybody I wanted if they would agree. But my authority at the time, you know, said, you know, who would you like to marry? And I said, oh, I, I noticed that brahmachari, you know, he sings very nicely. What <laughs> 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 that's, that's amazing kirtans. Um, he had just come back from Africa. Um, he was doing some work, some preaching work there. And um, so, yeah. He had come back to England from Africa to do some collection. And so Shivaram Maharaj, who was our Sangatan leader at the time, called him up and said, hey, Kripa, you want to get married? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, what did you say?
3: I said, no. I I took it as an accusation. Oh, wow. (laughs) I was a very strict, self-respecting, saffron-clad monk. And someone asking you if you wanted to get married is an accusation that you're you're hiding right (laughs) but so um, yeah but the seed
1: was planted and so um it took some time but in the end uh he agreed to it and um yeah we had probably six months of courtship that means i think you used to come over to the ladies ashram house and i used to make you fruit salad or something (laughs) And sometimes we would go out and sangkritan together. That was our, you know, kind of courting. Um, but yeah, after six months, uh, we, we we decided to go for it. And um, yeah, I mean, there were a lot of things going on at the time, around, you know, and, you know, in in the Yatra politically and all that, which I guess we kind of bonded over different things that were happening as well. But mm-hmm. one interesting thing was we had our astrology done because that was. Kind of the practice in, you know to, to get your compatibility done and it came back really good and you know i of course you know was quite attached um but then we looked at the you know what he had put in the date and he had actually got the date wrong
3: this was after
1: this was after we had been you know kind of associating or you know courting for like six months and you know we were kind of right right committed to it so we we sent it back and it came back really bad like we were only like 20 percent compatible which is a fact we are not very compatible (laughs) material level but you know we just decided to go for it and uh yeah so we did so you know if that question will come up or you know about compatibility astrology and all that kind of thing we've um yeah, we we managed to put Krishna in the center and kind of work through through that through our inc- find the areas which are compatible. And We have some areas that are compatible. Twenty percent. Twenty percent. Oh
0: man, I, I'd love to. I'd love to get to that. Um, but I, you know, I'm just curious to unpack this. Um process of yeah you know in our in our devotional community we have this term when uh when when prospective husband and wife are getting to know each other of like we're, we're associating now so i i'm just interested like that six months that you were sort of you know checking it out associating the the courtship phase like what shape would your associating actually take i mean how much time did you actually get to spend together and you know, how would you spend that time? What was your you could say bonding
2: mediums or methods? This is a this is a good question because in our generation, associating has all sorts of money <laughs> implications <laughs> versus what we might hear from you. So this is a nice
3: question. I can I go yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Did you notice that? I did. We know it. <laughs> That's the secret of a happy marriage. <laughs>
1: doing it for the camera.
2: <laughs> oh my God, um, you guys are so funny.
3: Well, it was most unscientific, really. I mean, you know, we as devotees, we talk about um, that we have a culture based on the Vedas. And Vedas have a very uh, scientific way of um developing a relationship and the the codes of etiquette that that go on to begin it and maintain it hardly of any uh, hardly any of which were of which were um existing sort of at that time even when we did get married i had to resurrect the vedic wedding ceremony because no one knew how to do one mm-hmm. you know other than burning some wood vaguely in the middle of a, a square so we had to do some research um but really developing a relationship was uh we it was there were political needs at the time financial needs at the time we were ashram people and so uh we had a spiritual leadership crisis at the time mm-hmm. which meant that we had a financial crisis which meant that we were the solution to the financial crisis. And that meant three years from the time we first met uh, until two, may, maybe three years after we got married, we were raising funds. So our association was raising funds together.
1: Or separately. <laughs> we were separated. Actually, after we got married, we were we were actually separated for a great deal of time um raising funds the idea the idea
3: was you you should um you should um come together but not too much (laughs) get get to know each other but not too much Uh, associate but don't get attached no it was almost a sort of a incompatible uh request i think mm-hmm.
1: we did go i remember once we went to cet together <laughs> our,
3: well that's like we that's had, like highly
1: day, you know we felt quite guilty for it
3: that, that required <laughs> but uh, came up. <laughs> that required uh you know hours and hours of penitent prayer after that. <laughs> that was uh, <laughs> we thought we'd, we'd really lost our krishna consciousness at that point you know it was, listen, it, it was snowing outside and uh, it, it was snowing outside and we were desperately cold trudging through the snow to try to sell paintings to raise funds to keep the electricity switched on. So we we, we had a, a mad moment of, you know. <laughs> but, God,
1: can I just say that? having those periods of i mean obviously during the courting period we were meeting somewhat regularly but just you know as i said i used to make a fruit salad or occasionally we would go out collecting together as well but after we got married we had these periods of separation and i think if from my experience i would say within a healthy relationship it brought us closer together because having those periods of separation i mean and then once mm. I had the children, you used to go to India sometimes or you went to Hungary or, or yeah, we had, and even now sometimes he stays out in the garden <laughs> in a cabin, just having sometimes some space and some period of separation has helped, I think it's helped our relationship yeah. um, to you know, be healthy. Mm.
3: In the, in the, do you know the British expression? It was very Jane Austen. No. <laughs> Very, very Jane Austen means that a, a prospective husband and a prospective wife they communicate through gestures and tickets and fan movements and mm. you know little courtesies and etiquettes and mm. it, it's it's not um, it's not meant for exploring the uh, the uh, more physically intimate side of life mm. because mm. if you do that then you, it's not possible to make a cool decision. Mm. So in the beginning you meant to um getting to know the person means getting to know their values and what life with them would involve, what they may like. Mm. And that the rest can mm. come later mm. and can legitimately only come later. And perhaps mm. that's the, the defining difference per, between the last generation and this generation yes i Anyone definitely have some questions on that we, we see today but we'll we'll get to that i'm sure
2: i have a you know just hearing your relationship and this is one of our standard questions because i just find it interesting it says in the west um, they marry the girl that they love but in the east they love the girl that they marry yeah. Um, and I guess this is to express a difference between like a love orientation versus like a duty orientation towards relationship. Mm-hmm. And from the what you've described just now to us in this process of courtship and marriage, it sounds like very much the latter, like a duty orientation. And, you know, some affection is there also, but largely duty informed versus love informed. So I kind of was interested to hear about that dynamic, not only in your own relationship, but as a like as a metaphysical approach to relationship also, which one is like most important or for you specifically, but in principle also, how does that yeah, work out or play out or should play out? Mm-hmm. It's
3: good.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, you know, um, when I first met the devotees, I was 17. I had had no girlfriend, no sexual experiences, no intimate exchanges, no love. And so my inner core was, you know, just a celibate student committed to God realization. Uh, so hmm. From 17, I had been raised with the notion that living with a woman was in, in some sense a, uh, you know, a second rate the second-rate uh, way of life. <laughs> the best way of life was the, uh, you know, the celibate male. And um, I was a, a monk for eight years, and the thought of marriage never crossed my mind. Mm. And the thought of love never crossed my mind because I looked at it philosophically, and I tried to understand things that I'd been taught that, love of god is the goal of life and anything else just gets in the way why become entangled in something that just would get in my way of the ultimate goal um so when i did realize and it it comes with realize it with the speed of a steam train (laughs) uh, you may not be a you may may not be a monk for the rest of your life (laughs) You have to very quickly understand that a uh, change of value is required. Mm. But even then, marriage was uppermost and love was maybe it will come, maybe it won't. Mm. So there was there's liking a person but falling in love. If I had waited until I fell in love with my dear wife, I might have been waiting 10, 15 years.
2: <laughs> that, is. That, that
3: comes later. Mm. Uh, I think I'm living proof that love does arrive eventually <laughs> yeah, it's something that you have to wait for mm-hmm. and then when it comes it takes a relationship onto a new level mm-hmm. but if you demand "I mm-hmm. must love this person or this person must love me completely uh, and then we make a commitment to each other then you may be disappointed mm-hmm. sometimes it comes like that in a few rare cases as love i have heard of couples who love at first sight they met they met very very early on but i i mean i've done weddings for others so i know people's backstories mm-hmm. i mean i'm a priest so I right. do 500, 575 weddings to date wow. so i always ask the couple how did you meet and very rarely they say oh we just an instant instantly hit it off uh, sure it's, uh, it's 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 work and it's duty which it's seems promoted. very unspontaneous for us in the west we want the gratification of romance mm-hmm. we want the gratification of deep love we want the gratification of undying commitment mm. as a prerequisite <laughs> You know, sort of like <laughs> we want them to show a show them show me your QR code of deep commitment, your, your double vaccination of uh, <laughs> deep sure deep romantic deep romantic love, and then we will then we will let you in the door of marriage. Mm. I'm, I'm, it's not like that yeah. for most people. Like so I think we have to peel back the layers of Western appreciation or Western expectations this is how you form mm. a relationship uh, and uh, we may get something mm. the reality of the situation so. yeah. yeah i mean we, we
1: have the op- not the opportunity but we um often get approached by couples who are struggling and, and you know looking for counsel and advice and sometimes there are couples who did come together out of love and and it's just kind of degenerated into like i don't know like they can't stand each other so mm. these are but actually came together, chose each other as like partners. And then the relationship um, after after some time just dwindled terribly. Um, I mean, I don't know if we, I mean, I was attached, but I don't know if we loved each other. I think definitely love grows. I think we all need help to maybe find, you know, in, in those, in the days where, there was only were limited choice, you know. So right. somebody who wasn't Kirtan couldn't done leader gave a class it was naturally that. But we didn't we needed help. <laughs> we needed help from our elders, you know, to help to make it happen.
3: Um, with with Harry Hare Krishna couples is a very, very small gene pool.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it is.
3: Very small, you're swimming in a very small pool, you know. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. you can't really
1: associate, you know, what you can't really take the time or it's not proper to get to know, which I really admire of the younger generation. They're much more natural with each other within their relationships, which has its plus side and also maybe some negative aspects to it. You know, maybe it's a little too free and easy sometimes. But I do admire that they have those opportunities to maybe get to know each other a little bit, you know, within, you know, Kirtan events or this or that. Bus tours and all that. I think my own son met his fiance on on a European bus
2: tour. Yes, he did. <laughs> I remember that.
1: So it's like an opportunity to naturally kind of develop an attraction.
3: I, I want to say something yeah. I Just just I was thinking that um, you know normally people look upon this word austerity as a bad word. But austerity or tapa, tapasya, is actually the keynote um, element in any ashram. It's more evident in the brahmacharya ashram. But as soon as the brahmacharya ashram comes to an end, some men lay aside this commitment to austerity, not Mm -hmm. realizing that austerity is equally required in the grihasta ashram. It's not a life of unlimited pizza parties and you know enjoyment and uh, beards. You know <laughs> it's uh <laughs> there is uh, this, on the austerity is, it, is that the relationship is overlaid with the austerity of duty. Mm. So it means that you have mutual you're in a, engaged in a relationship of love yes but a relationship of uh where you're both serving this uh, a higher concept together you're striving for self-realization together Mm. now in the old days i would have laughed at the idea that a man could be living with a woman for many years and still be striving for (laughs) (laughs) self-realization the idea is that well, you you know if you're really striving for self-realization don't live with the opposite sex Mm. Obviously, that's incompatible. But having done it, I can tell you that if you do it properly, there's an equal amount of austerity in the Brahmacharya ashram as in the Grihastha ashram. Mm. All the ashrams have to have austerity as an element. It's mm. just where you choose to fight your battles mm. and how you fight. Uh,
0: sure, yeah. I I must admit, I must admit, as I'm as I'm hearing you both. Um, express these notions which, you know, in relation to absolute truth are self-evidently true. I, I must say that the, 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 the stark, like, I cannot actually describe in words how stark the contrast is with, I, I work full-time as a relationship therapist, but like in the secular world. Right. Yeah. So like I deal with I deal with people in the secular world that are very much, you know, conducting these Kali kind of relationship dynamics. And it it's just everything that you're saying is like, yes, this is true. But for the absolute vast, vast, vast majority of people out there, there's just no way that they're ever going to be able to. Um, to live in this way, let alone like understand it because it's just so far removed from people's frame of reference. And Mm -hmm. it's like, for me, it's a, it's a very interesting thing because I have to help people like from where they're at, right? Like I've got to, I've got to take where they're at and help them from there. Um, But then, you know, so, so that's kind of like one extreme. And then you could say like the notions that you're sharing here, is largely the other extreme, which has which which the two of you have uh, successfully embodied and practiced, you know, um, for the most part. So now I'm kind of thinking like you know you get like the the kind of like modern Western approach or like way of approaching relationships where you know Prabhu described it so humorously. You know, there has to be this full, like, deep-seated, full-hearted, you know, loving sentiment, and you just have to be completely bonkers about the other person, and, you know, only then. Um, But, so, I'm kind of thinking, like, that's one extreme, you're the other extreme. Now, like, the young generation, like, the current generation of young people who are just getting married or about to get married or have just gotten married, like to me, they're kind of like something in between because they are conditioned by these Western ways of being on the one hand, because it's been all around them. But on the other hand, they also hold like our, you know, values, our Hare Krishna values, you know, of, of, um, as, you know, being married and being together for the sake of reaching enlightenment together. So I kind of feel like they're somewhere in the middle. And, having dealt with a lot of younger couples and helping a lot of people like where would you say in terms of courtship today like where is where is where is really the balance because these kind of like western conditionings are very real and a lot of people just can't live on this level of austerity you know and this level of like strictness and, and sobriety, it's just not viable for a lot of the mm-hmm. young generation. So, mm-hmm. how are they supposed to find the balance and not like, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Like-
1: <clears throat> well, <clears throat> one thing is that I know a lot of young couples, you know, they're, they're very busy doing this and that, you know, their podcasts and their work and their um, whatever their hobbies are, but I think, you know, you have to invest in the relationship and mm-hmm. it is hard like for us as devotees, you know, we've got our spiritual practice, which is, you know, takes a, a good deal of time today. Our, 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 and we have our, you know, the work that we do. We have children. I mean, our children are grown up, but they still take some time. Me. <laughs> um, but then where to, where where where's the time for us? So, I mean, we haven't always being successful but we we do encourage others as we have tried ourselves to see that our relationship is part of our work part of our service and we have to invest in that and you mm-hmm. know we have, to, we have to bring some fun into that some joy some love you know whatever it is whatever turns you on you know we, we try we try to kind of go on dates together you nice. know when we're younger, we have the support of of uh, fa- we didn't really have family support but we had very close friends that supported us and caring for the kids so we could actually go away together and we do encourage others to do that as well because otherwise you know everything can so quickly fall apart because everyone every every individual just follows their their passions and their own needs and doesn't see the importance of really putting that time into the relationship it's hard work sometimes it is hard work, but, you know, they say, you know, just the hard work smooths up, smooths our rough edges and, and makes us better individually and together. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, but definitely it's harder if you don't put that time into the
3: relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, there's an interesting symbolism that um, I often quote to married couples at the time of their wedding. And it's that the um, the white cloth and the red cloth, which drape the bride and groom, <clears throat> are tied. The cloth is tied between them. And um, I joke with them that this is this is tying the knot. Um, <laughs> but the these two cloths together form a knot, and the knot has its own existence. Mm. That represents Vishnu. And your commitment of marriage is to Vishnu. And therefore, you serving your marriage is a commitment to Vishnu. So this it's not just serving each other, but there's a third mm. principle in the marriage, and that is your commitment. Your mm. commitment, her commitment to him and his commitment to her, and your commitment both to each other forms a triangle. And the apex of that triangle is the Lord. And therefore... It is a religious duty to spend time with each other maintaining the relationship. Mm. not letting, But many people don't do the relationship maintenance. Mm. It's like having a vehicle, but never putting water, never putting oil. Uh, uh, you would mm. not be able to drive that vehicle for very long. So if the marriage is the vehicle that takes you through life, you have to maintain it. How often does it take to be maintained well Mm -hmm. the strategies for that there's a lot of good books written on the subject but marriage maintenance is almost as important if not more important than marriage preparation Mm. yeah one one thing one thing we didn't talk about was was the preparation the area of preparation where you talk about um sort of covert values as well as overt values the things that really make you and this can be brought out by there's a few tests of a 100 or so questions each that you can ask each other the many different versions of these but to get to know each other um, is very important simple things like when we are married who will do the washing up when we are married who will look after the children when we are married will we live in the city or in the country These are things which the prospective partner may not reveal to you unless you ask the question. So when you are obliged to sit down and ask these questions, you will know a heck of a lot more about the other person. Then you decide whether it's right and proper and fitting for you at that moment to become romantic, to allow yourself to fall in love with that person. Because if you fall in love, love will come and go. Mm -hmm the values connected then love will endure because love has a habit of changing character as it goes Mm. i always tell people there's four different types of love one is the craving love which in our devoted community we would call lust Mm. (laughs) old-fashioned biblical term lust that's easy and a young man and a young woman are infinitely compatible on that level especially Especially if the man has been celibate and the woman has been abstinent, they -hmm. are very, very. (laughs) They, you know, they're absolutely meant for each other at that point in time.
2: Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) So that's that's,
3: that's craving love. Where's the other? That's craving love. The other is, well, the other is commitment love. Mm. Actually, the next one is companionship love. They They all begin with C. This is a tool I use. Companionship means we will work together it's from an Italian word company with mm. bread we will eat together we will mm. do things together it's no longer an I but it's a we mm. we're on this together we're on this journey together we will ride together we will go and do what we're meant to do we're having the same goal next mm. comes commitment love that even though you may get old I'm making a commitment so the craving love may have disappeared, but the commitment love has to replace it.
2: And then mm-hmm. finally
3: comes the caring love. But no matter what you look like, even when, you, even when you're old. Because <laughs> t- you, uh, one of your questions was uh, people are shocked by what comes after the romance is over. <laughs> so people have to be told. Yeah, right. So mm-hmm. people have to be told that um, these shocks will come. Your wife before she has children, and your wife after she has children, are two different species. Of, <laughs> two different species of human life. <laughs> you, know, you, you can't even recognize them, and that can hit mm-hmm. a man very hard. You see, speaking as a man, mm-hmm. <laughs> it can hit a man very hard because the woman that you gave your life to, the woman that you made your commitment to, she now belongs to someone else. She mm-hmm. now belongs totally to another human being who is mm. about this size <laughs> <laughs> so it can lead a man to become very jealous of mm. his own children and there begins there begins you know this so unless you talk about it unless you know that you have to to tra- make a transition from craving love to commitment and companionship and care mm. then you may miss the point mm. and it will change Mm. Our relationship has changed over 40 years. Yeah. Is there any craving left?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Those are exactly the kind of uncomfortable questions
3: that Mother Guru didn't want to hear. Well, look, let me me tell you this is Bodica, these are the questions (laughs) that we ask. (laughs)
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, Prabhu, you've understood.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I came from a, a community and family where there was no question of, you know, divorce or, you know, there was no question of it. So when I got married, I, I, that's, I, I never thought it was a, an option. But, um, mm. you know, there, there were a lot of marriages in the past within our within our society, ISKCON society, that failed. And there were a lot of casualties from that. Mm -hmm. and um you know we see that it is our duty and our you know commit commitment to our our gurus and our community to stay together just for the stability of Mm -hmm. you know when couples are undergoing some some difficulties and we're trying to counsel as you probably know we try to help them to to see the um the worst alternative of their choices if they choose to separate i mean obviously unless there's abuse that's a different question but just so many young couples today just aren't so easily want to just throw the towel in you know and they just don't have mm-hmm. that sense of duty or commitment or responsibility to our to the communities in which they live it has an unfathomable um ripple effect you know with it within within our communities um when these relationships break down
2: absolutely I you know um you guys kind of already touched on this or in some ways answered it but I'm gonna ask this anyway I think the love approach versus duty approach gives a different set of expectations you know when you're when you're in the love sort of approach to a relationship the expectations are as one can imagine they mimic what we see in our culture, whether in music videos or yeah. and so on, um, Netflix and, and whatever, versus when you have a duty approach, then the expectations are probably going to be a lot more sober. You know, you're mm-hmm. able to embrace the idea of like austerity and sacrifice, and because the approach is very different. Um, and, and then you're going to talk about your values in order to help you have reasonable expectations. But yeah, my question is what is a reasonable expectation? Because at least, what i've seen i'm not in a relationship. i've never been in a relationship but i get to hear about everyone's relationship because i'm not in a relationship and Mm -hmm. a lot of people confide in me you know just to talk about how they're struggling or suffering Mm -hmm. and a lot of times when i've heard that it seems like there were unreasonable expectations or just yeah not knowing what to actually expect in a in the relationship so and then and therefore like a clash between what they expected and the actual reality Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm curious about your experience of that. It, I mean, because your approach was a lot du- more duty oriented. Mm-hmm. And so I, I imagine there was less of a schism between expectation and reality. But I don't know. Maybe there was that experience also. And how does one navigate that experience? Because it seems like at least part of the reason why a lot of our relationships are failing our community is because there's contact with that schism. Oh, this is not what I expected. And then mm-hmm. people throw in a towel. So, how does one expertly or more skillfully navigate the the mm. disorienting experience of an expectation not meeting reality?
3: Uh, let me say something. I, I think expectation is created. Mm. I we we may have had less of an expectation because we were the first generation. Mm um i knew very few people who were devotees of krishna and married so there wasn't the previous generation to talk to right wasn't anybody to consult mm. and we were on our own but i think the younger generation now as you say that they've been given two expectations one is by outside culture one is by inside culture mm. And this is where it gets a little bit controversial because I think that outside culture has given the expectation that it, you know, it'll be fast and furious, but it may may not last. And our internal culture is very heavily imprinted with the template of sannyas and renunciation Mm. as being the highest possible human achievement and I think that, for to, to have a, a a next generation of successful married couples, we may have to revise that a little, in sending out very positive messages, creating expectations that it it is possible to have a fulfilling, spiritual spiritually oriented um, uh, life as a married person, mm. because if the outside environment is telling people that um, you know you'll enjoy it for a while and then you'll suffer and the internal environment is telling people you'll enjoy life for a while but then you'll suffer and then you'll become detached i mean i, I have known wedding ceremonies where a sannyasi will give a hard-hitting <laughs> message about the frailty of married life okay and uh, what sort of a beginning to a married life is that for any young couple so i, I think within our own culture we have to uh, a create healthy expectations by good training mm-hmm. b support our young couples where they go through difficulties and not jump in and say aha we told you married life married life is a hotbed of suffering you know, you mm-hmm. should have known that hard knot. Of material attachment, because that gives no one anywhere to go. Mm. We have to provide them with positive role models mm-hmm. that they can work to emulate. Mm.
1: Yeah, I, and um, you know, many men, for instance, may read things in the book, in our scriptures, you know, and and misinterpret them, you know, in terms of, you know, how they should treat the wife or or. But I think training, as you say, is very is key. but one thing also that I um, what well, which I find really valuable and I share with so many young couples, even though this is our closest, most intimate relationship, that uh, you know, it shouldn't be a, uh, a a place that we just dump dump on each other. you know, we have to really, so important to have, um like I really value my my relationship with my god my my sisters my friends my close friends we have a little community of you know um close I call them my sisters because we're so close you know we share a lot and we complain a lot about this and that it goes on and for the men as well I mean it's much easier for ladies to do that than for men I mean you're creating an environment where men which I I really value that where men can talk about issues Openly, and I think that's absolutely wonderful. But I think it's so important that we don't just have each other, but that we actually take advantage of the, you know, friends and and community around us for support. Yeah. Because otherwise, if it's just the two of us, you know, just I know sometimes.
3: It's not. It's already incompatible. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I understand that. The the Western idea yeah is that when male and female come together it makes a sort of yin and yang yeah and it makes a whole i feel whole now i've met you
1: that's right you are my
3: everything yeah. you are my best friend you you know which is which creates a problem in the first place mm. the way people interact as husband and wife creates a problem mm. even sleeping in a double bed creates a problem you know the auras the auras mix and become very similar. So people lose attraction because they're no longer different. They are subtly resembling mm. resemble each other too much. So separation actually keeps the marriage stronger. Mm. Whereas often the the idea is that, oh, you know, he's sleeping on the couch downstairs. She's sleeping upstairs. Oh, what's wrong with the marriage? <laughs> we well, are giving
1: all our secrets away now.
3: <laughs> but uh Janne, bandit said a man should spend Johnny bandit's not the greatest marriage counselor he had a <laughs> he had a difficult time in marriage uh but uh he said a man should spend two months of the year in total in, in separate from his wife mm. to keep the relationship fresh mm. whereas mm. in the west we would say. Mm oh so much time a man is spending away mm-hmm. from his wife obviously they're going to fall out of love well if you're relying on that craving love to be the glue that sticks you together then you will have a problem mm-hmm. but if you rely on the separation building the ultimate mm-hmm. commitment then you have a, a, a more solid um
1: yeah i remember when i i grilled namras before he married tulsi and i was you know talking to him about this kind of idea and he came up with it himself you know, i'm not expecting her to be the the you know the the fulfill you know like to, to make my my relation to make me you know 100 the better person you know that he he understood that um mm. that we we have to look to other relationships around mm. us to enrich the relationship we have if we have that i know um i was talking to one couple and everybody respected the particular you know man you know when he was out and about doing this and that and his work but at home he was just nasty and horrible and it was almost like he didn't have a place to actually release particular emotions so he yeah. just did it within the home whereas if he would have had uh, an, a vehicle by which he could do that then his home life would have been much more peaceful mm. so i think yeah. it's really really important
0: mm. Mm. No, Prabhu, a little bit earlier, you were, um, you know, pointing out how it's a it's a massive challenge for a man when. Uh, so there's a, there you know there's the saying that like women get married thinking that men will change, um, and uh, men get married thinking that women won't change, yeah. <laughs> but they do. <laughs> yeah. So so like you know yeah, at I'm... this at this. sorry, at this juncture, you know, when, when, when the children come, um, I'm, I'm very, very curious to hear of, of your experience, uh, you know, and, and, and you've, um, you've raised such, such incredible, incredible people, um, you know, and, but it's, I'm just, I'm so curious about that initial experience. (laughs) Uh, why it, it, it's interesting it's interesting no Prabhu, i mean cuz i cuz like i can imagine it was a heavy thing for you it was a heavy thing for you at the time uh, that shift
3: <laughs> <laughs> well i think that um we we're, we're very selfish creatures and to say that um you know in the beginning of uh, in my married life i saw the opportunity to um deal with my cravings and that was the relationship that uh it was an important part of the relationship but um that objectifies the other person into a fulfiller of your um physical expectations Mm. which doesn't deal really with the transit that is inevitably going to take place Mm -hmm. so the transit the emotional arc that we follow in in life is that um if you're fruitful and you have children the the wife's body will no longer be uh, meeting your expectations of physical demands which are in themselves Mm -hmm. very self-centered me very me orientated but rather it gives birth to a child whose every need is provided by this huge hormonal factory, which your wife's body has become. Mm. So the beautiful form that you've got married to has now become a form for feeding children. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're,
2: like, you're like looking at mother guru, like, is it okay? Can I continue? <laughs> I'll just say, that's that that that's it
3: that's it. well you know my expectation was that you know you would carry on being this person for me mm. and now you're being this person for others mm. and uh i think that can be a point in a a man's life especially if there's one child two children in our case two children relatively close together it may um it change. It, there's an absolute demand to change relationships so that transition i would say men need help at that point in their in their life i saw my father really needed help in that place i see other couples that we talk to they need help at that point it's wow. a difficult point the other point is the unfulfilled emotional physical and financial stuff which we call midlife crisis which Uh comes after the shock of discovering that your wife's body is meant for the children (laughs) (laughs) which is a different other point in the transit and then another point is sort of in the late 50s maybe late 50s where really whatever it is that you are in your late 50s unless you're a really late developer that's who you are that's who you've become and at that point you can turn inwards on yourself and you can think well you know she's to blame for me not being everything I could have been Mm. and she may look at she may look at her husband the woman may look at the husband and say well I could have been so much was it were it not for you so these these are key weak points I would say in a relationship that have to be the the key areas of turbulence Mm. where you have to strap yourself into your seat you know tighten up your seat belt mm. don't mm. get God. up to go to the restroom don't do anything I think you're speaking
1: from a man's perspective sure, right. yeah.
2: we want
3: to hear
1: we want to hear I'm hearing this and it's very interesting but that, I think that's definitely I mean I think for a woman it's very fulfilling but in terms of expectations I would say I know you talked talked about kind of the you know the the timeline of you know or different aspects of different periods in a relationship, but one thing about expectations is we we do expect our our husband, or partner, to be just absolutely everything. I gave up asking him to do DIY a long time
3: ago, because I realize it's that's funny, not... They, they may not say oh, DIY.
1: Way. Do you call it DIY? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Do it yourself. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I, I... Like being handy around the house. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's my yeah. response
3: when she asks me to do DIY. Uh... <laughs> do it yourself. <laughs>
1: but yeah you know it's like you we want our husband to be you know to be there to do do this that and the other and you kind of fall into roles but i mean i just i just it's it's a difficult thing but we really do have to honor with each other the things that we're good at doing and so in each relationship it may be different you know in some relationships the man might do the cooking or But, you know, it's having unreal expectations and honoring the things. Mm. I know he's a brilliant writer, he's a brilliant speaker. So let me allow him the space to do that. It is frustrating and you do nag him a bit, but you know, you just have to come to that place of peace and just, um, yeah, see for the higher good, uh, you know, that, um, you know, you Mm. you kind of manage to to make things work and you fall into the roles that that you do
2: okay we want to know how i really want to know this oh sorry i really um... I,
0: I, yeah okay okay go go go, go. okay you go, go
2: you
0: go i'm just yes yes i'm just distilling things and um and like or digesting and 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 it seems to me it seems to me like like really, I mean, Prabhu, you were also speaking this about this a lot, is like very, very clearly communicated expectations both on like principles and details, both on like covert and overt values. Like knowing that life on a practical level is very, very demanding, and you need to have the conversations about how you're gonna navigate it and and like you know you're saying you've got these key areas of turbulence um and basically the way to deal with it is to know that it's coming yeah. and and to know what 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 is what you're what you're in for and then to be um somehow or other prepared and equipped to deal with it for what it is when it does come. Um that's just yeah that's just what I'm taking away and I just want to reflect mm. that back.
3: Yeah, I know. You, nice. you understood that. I mean, you, you understand this anyway, but it's it's getting it over to young couples that they may not be that different from the last generation. Mm. The, mm-hmm, whole thing, mm-hmm. the whole thing of postmodernism is that everybody feels that they're different from their parents' generation. <laughs> yeah. When yeah. Really yeah. They just they're, they're pretty much the same, mm. but without the training that goes with it. The, the the best solution the best solution for all marital problems is to speak to someone who has been married for a long time mm-hmm. it is it's, it, some of it is very simple is it Krishna mm-hmm. conscious it doesn't have to be Krishna conscious does it come from the Vedas it doesn't have to be from the Vedas <laughs> it's just common sense common sense bring you it know, back um,
2: yeah. please bring it back bring it back like, yeah. uh, you know
3: the, the difficulty I, I feel with some of us at least is that in order to take up spiritual life seriously, we sort of said goodbye to our families. We said goodbye mm-hmm. to parents and grandparents' generation mm-hmm. because we saw them, we viewed them as hopelessly unskilled in the business of what we saw then as the goal of life, which was the spiritual emancipation. Right. Mm-hmm. However, some of the granny wisdom, and I use that term advisedly, the granny wisdom we we, we missed out on mm. I remember Jai Swami yeah. told Swami he said the best thing he said that gone can do is is bring back grannies mm. <laughs> yeah I heard that. Just don't have an older generation to sort of say you don't want to do that don't do it that way if you say that she'll say this and then you know don't do this do do this mm. but um part of this generational um sort of schism that's taken place has rendered us um without the wise counsel Mm -hmm. of elders and then we created then we so that's in postmodern culture and then from that postmodern culture we created another organization which would in effect doubly do that by insulating people from any good advice because it's, it's, it's something unwanted from people who don't know what our our goals are
1: Hmm. Also, some people don't want the good advice. Actually, mm-hmm. I find that they're like, you know, a lot of young couples are like, no, 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 we don't need any help. We well, can actually do it on our own. You know, we can work it out on our own. Right? Don't speak
3: about counseling.
1: Yeah, don't get counseling or mediation.
3: You, they do don't. It. They don't want our advice. But then our advice is, well, if you don't take our advice, Google. Go. <laughs> go to um you know, go to yeah. go to a trained yeah. counselor or a therapist to help you deal with your childhood issues perhaps that you're now mentally projecting onto your relationship. And they don't want to go, no, 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 it's too they want to sort it out themselves. Mm-hmm. But of course you you can't heal a broken leg by yourself and you can't heal a broken relationship by yourself. You need a therapist of some kind. Mm many couples they say, they don't want to yeah they're, they're not interested
2: mm. good luck mm. I'm curious about the um not curious this is a follow-up with the children the children question. I think one of the uh, kind of a unique characteristic I would say of our generation is we're having less kids we're not into the kid thing so much Um, and that's definitely true for the secular world, probably for obvious reasons, but I think, I think our culture by osmosis, we've also gotten a lot of that where people are like, just not into children and okay, fine. You're not into children, but they also don't see having children as like the duty, not only to your Mm -hmm. own relationship, but your duty to the greater community, like any Mm -hmm. society that likes itself needs, wants it to continue, which means you gotta Mm -hmm. have children to continue it. So I'm kind of curious about. Maybe your wisdom or advice about the importance of children not only to the relationship itself but also to the greater community that you would hope that you cho- know that you would hope to survive mm-hmm. in the future and yeah how did having children for you all change like how did that change your relationship that you've already spoken a little bit about that but maybe a little bit more mm-hmm. and we also want to know how did you raise such wonderful children like john me, and Tosi? i mean I'm very close to V and I know Tosi also very well, and I'm very uh, I'm uh, in love with both of them. So we want to I want to hear that too. But maybe this first question, just yeah, confronting the whole children's question. And yeah, uh, why I don't have children?
1: Why people? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, it is hard work. <laughs> I said to Tosi the other day. I said, I don't think I'm good. I mean, obviously, I've raised three three children, but <laughs> you know, going back to it now, over sixty plus years, it's, it's it is really really hard work. She's like, this is my. Today, today, But I mean, for us, we had, we had the temple just a mile away, we had lots of friends around.
3: Um, Um, Did we ever think of not having children? I mean, I wanted to I
1: had some people don't have a desire so much. I have a strong desire to have children. Um, But I just I, I what I didn't understand then what I do understand now is that how how is this culture of bhakti Krishna consciousness going to go on without the next generation?
2: Right, a lot
1: mm-hmm. um, so I, I mean, I guess mine was a selfish thing. I, I just, I mean, I didn't. When I first joined the temple, I, I joined the temple, and all the ladies wanted to get married, and I'm like, you're all out of it, like, you know. <laughs> um, but you know, years <laughs> later, I had a strong desire to get married and a very strong desire to have children. I think it's just a natural thing that comes, but for some, it doesn't. So you know, there are some couples, but I do notice that a lot of couples they have one child. And then I don't know if it's the pace of life, you know that you know and, and the demands to maintain themselves and or their their I don't know what it is why why they they just That's can't. Totally I mean, look at the previous generation like my mother came from a family of um eight or nine children, I think I don't yeah, know how, too. How, yeah, how the, the capacity of the mothers.
3: I mean, my my mother came from a family of seven
1: seven absolutely and you know i i had three and i was like three is a lot more than two <laughs> 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 and we had, we didn't have family but we had a lot of close friends and i would definitely say that my children would not be what they were today without the community at bhaktivedanta manor in london um mm. definitely like you know they used to go down there it takes, it, a, village. It takes a village it takes a village they, they village. have they have so absolutely many- aunties and 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 uncles and well-wishers and there was so much opportunity <laughs> when it got too much <laughs> send it down to the manor you know whether they were the dramas of cleaning the toilets or or <laughs> helping with this or that it it really took the edge off I think I think I know when my family came for Tulsi and Namrath's wedding because a lot of people don't live in kind of big supporting communities they were overwhelmed to see the the support of the community Uh, and I just feel so fortunate that we've had that for our children and um it's hard that I don't know where there's not that many communities here in North America um in England and Europe there's a few wonderful communities so I think it, it is really vital. I mean it was really vital for us. I can't take all credit for my children, that's yeah. that's for sure. But we did we did pray very hard. And I know um Srila Prabhupada mentioned it so many times in the Bhagavatam about, you know, really um, um, praying and having a very very um, focused, you know, meditation when conceiving children. And I, I would say that we definitely tried to do that and pray, pray for souls who would, you know, really, um, you know, come into this world as their, as their last life, you know, um, in the material realm. So I don't know if our, our, our prayers have been answered, but we feel very blessed and very graced with the wonderful children that, you know, that we've had. Um, And they're they're just from their past lives, you know, (laughs) they're teaching us now, that's for sure. They are definitely, it's such a, what I would say to young couples, it is just the most incredibly um, difficult, but incredibly enriching, enlivening and educational. I mean, um, what even little Gaurachandra or Chandri, the things he comes out with, you know, the questions he was just asking the other day about death and this and that, I mean, it, it, it's actually incredible where these souls are coming from and the depth they have. Mm-hmm.
3: So. I, I I think there's a um, there's an anxiety in uh, um, I was going to say white white people mm-hmm. probably <laughs> North European people. North American people, maybe white North American people, of just not being sure of reproducing themselves because they're not sure about the culture that they've created. For
0: yes, yes. So
3: it's sort of a turn, It there's a questioning whether you call it, what do you call it, modern terminology, but white guilt, white guilt, there's, Wokeism is a, right. a paralyzing. There's a paralysis going on within the northern cultures, which makes people very doubtful about the entire culture itself. We're not sure where we're going. We're not sure why we're here. Why would we then reproduce ourselves mm. and further compound the problem? That's one element. Second element is the industrial revolution, mm. which has crushed people into cities whereby to have a house in the city both the husband and the wife have to work third element sexual liberation of the 1960s which has made it possible to have um, sexual enjoyment without reproduction which is seen to be a liberating factor and is part of the feminist movement those Seeing a small part of a an interview with Elon Musk, yeah, the most uh, you know, famously rich man in the world. He said, he said, why would you have sex without reproduction? He said, why would we create a whole industry to have sex without repro- reproduction? He just looked at the interview and he says, that's silly, it's just silly, you know. Nature has created sex, the enjoyment of sex as a sort of counterweight to the responsibilities of having children Mm -hmm. uh, nature itself wants to reproduce itself using Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. Uh, why would you not he has eight children of -hmm. course you may say well he's got enough money to." (laughs) (laughs) but our parents generation our grandparents my grandfather and his wife they had seven children he was a preacher a methodist preacher had no money just no money
2: yeah my grandma my grandma on my mother's side is one of 14 kids
3: wow <laughs> it's like oh yeah mm-hmm. but, Prabhu, I, let, let, let me so, say so that's one part of the question right and our devotees mm-hmm. our our own community is soaking up on this this, which is this guilt or this anxiety or this lack mm-hmm. of being able to see a future for this culture with good reason and they say well um why would we introduce uh, you know so they say we, we we've we got married but we've decided not to have children to which my immediate response is that's not your choice mm-hmm. it's not your choice not to have children if you wanted not to have children choose not to have sex be, be celibate because children are the natural byproduct but we, in, in the modern world, we've created this whole uh, uh, vocabulary around, <laughs> you are know, you protected? Are you having protected sex? Oh, my God. Isn't that? Yes. I you yes. protected sex. It means that are you having sex where there's absolutely no chance that you'll ever have children? <laughs> Right? is it protected in other words the great danger the great danger that's there for you is if you know you get pregnant or are you practicing are you practicing safe sex in other words safe sex is where there's no children unsafe sex is where there's a possibility of children I mean Mm -hmm. so we've created a vocabulary since the 1967 probably Mm -hmm. whereby we've placed having children into a category of uh, leading a dangerous life so wow people people get it the wrong way around so there is a certain courtship okay we've we've done that then there is a commitment of marriage and you stay married because only through marriage and creating that bond will you provide a safe space that's safe sex
2: Mm. safe
3: sex is being married and then having children and um if, as uh, literature says, the demigods are queuing up to take birth in this movement, then for God's sake, let them through. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, touche!
3: <laughs>
0: well said. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm. I'm. I'm so curious about this. Um, you know, because we we've certainly seen that. You know. Many of the um, many of the of the first generation born from 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 proper disciples went through like very, very adverse childhood experiences and mm. were kind of like traumatized in in different ways. and it it was almost like some of our core philosophical notions, you know, especially concerning, renunciation and you know like the heaviness on women in the shastras that you know that was blown out of proportion and whatever you know pile all the kids into gurukul you know you have preaching sankirtan responsibilities point is like lots of those first generation kids grew up being highly traumatized individuals and um you know it, it it's just it's just rough reality to face but you know we 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 look at we look at your kids who you know, and Jai knows them personally, I I haven't um, had the fortune of meeting them personally yet, but who are incredibly, like, well-balanced um, uh, individuals, seemingly, and so i'm very curious i mean mother guru has has expressed like her very natural desire to have kids and Prabhu. i mean i assume that it was it was an agreed thing you you decided to do it together but, <laughs> but from like, like <moment>. But uh, you know, it's uh, you know, I'm just thinking, like in the context, like in the social milieu of like the the those like very early days where you know there was a very kind of like hardline mentality, um, you know, around renunciation. It's almost like you kind of like begrudgingly get married and and have kids and have the whole thing. I'm curious, as a young man, as a young father, Pabu, like when when Genevieve is the oldest, right? Yeah. So. When when Genevieve arrived, like as a young dad, what was your inner, what was your kind of like internal dialogue around, like how did you articulate your responsibility as a father? How did what did you regard your your primary duties as a father as being, and how did you consciously go about your fatherhood? Hmm. Do you
3: remember? <laughs> I, I, sometimes that happens when you um, you know you you can't remember because because you were there, mm, and something right. that happens, and you you you're dealing with a whole bag of emotions that erupt at that time. I and, do I do have diaries written. About yeah, I do I do
1: think that you had a commitment because your own father had you know left you at a a young age I think you definitely had a commitment to be there for your children
3: breaking the cycle
1: to break the cycle and um I I think it was a role that it it took some time you know because at the beginning of course children are you know from you know they're 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 being nourished and fed by the mother so I think you know it took time for you to fill the shoes but um yeah i think it was very it was very natural for you and i always admired mm. your that commitment and, and love and and wisdom and we gave the children we really tried to give the children a very broad um you know experience of life you know both religiously philosophically mm. um mm. culturally you know we both came from different back backgrounds which um we you know was, was very much a part of their upbringing as well as, obviously the Krishna, Krishna element, but um, yeah, we 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 did a lot of traveling together. We had a lot of very rich experiences, which um, we shared mm. as a family. Mm. Uh, and I think consciously- I, like I think that was the to, main- I mean, knowing that other generation where, you know, it's something we never really ever considered to send our children away or, or um, mm. yeah, as things happened in the early days, unfortunately, yeah. It was very unfortunate.
3: My my thought about that was that, um, you know, Prabhat had seen high-class British families send their children to, you know, very upmarket boarding schools in Darjeeling, mm-hmm. away from the heat. It was a high-class thing to send your child to a boarding school, and he may have been influenced by that, seeing that in his youth. I don't know whether he had any contact with boarding schools apart from that mm. but after we'd seen my my understanding is the proper changed things every 6 months or so <laughs> what we see is the sort of rigid this is what Prabhupada wanted is a later construct back projected onto the Prabhupada that really existed which was okay that's not worked from now on we do this Mm. every six months we were getting letters that says now we shall try this from now on we shall do this this is not working let's, let's do it this way." so Prabhupada was very flexible mm. and there were a few things that were experimentation mm. I believe the gurukul system was one of those experiments well that not, the, know, con- not the content not but the, the boarding content element and, of
1: the yeah and the fact that the teachers were not qualified they they, mm. they had no qualification or no experience When our children began school, I got involved myself because I just wanted to ensure that they were going to have, you know, loving experiences as as children. And so I got involved from the beginning. Genevieve started school and I carried on really until just last year. Uh, involved involving children's education to try and change that so
3: that's a 25-year commitment yeah wow yes, children's education was yeah. born from the fact that we don't want this to happen to we our don't children want this to happen. wow uh, mm. yeah, that sort of shaped it well you going back to that question you asked what a young father felt like mm. well I had no one to talk to mm. Mm. my father was gone my grandfather was gone the senior devotee generation was largely either there or not there but you know there the was no one i could go to one or two maybe but it was we had to find our own, i had to find my own way and um i think that was that was a hard part yeah, but it's, it's part of being a pioneer in a social spiritual movement like ours mm. you may not have the generational transmission of knowledge, of accumulated wisdom. And uh well, one thing we did find out as we're saying is that um, there's a lot of research being done on how children grow up healthily in a community. And the community is, you know, sociologists have said it's 140, 148 people to be precise. <laughs> with all the different tasks. That's the fundamental unit. Wow. uh um, concentric circles of different people at different levels of you know um connection to the child and it just we, we we had that by default because we when I first became a devotee I said where's the Hare Krishna movement they said we, we are creating it wow we've, we've got this big house given to us by George Harrison in which there was 20 people and they said, "But we're starting the movement now, so you're part of the movement. You're mm-hmm. you're you're creating the movement." So in my head, as a young man, was there wasn't a Hari Krishna movement to take advantage of, or to really join as a, as a, as a few people, or there wasn't really a Hari Krishna movement to blame when things <laughs> were wrong. Right. Like I, I was the Hari Krishna movement, or I was responsible for creating it. Mm-hmm. So I've been as much a part of the, you know, the later experiments in, um, you know, creating what we need for the next generation. So, for instance, I've written a book on, um, you know, uh, the guru and disciple because I I saw that things there was misconceptions in that area. I've also written a book based on questions that young couples have asked me, called, mm-hmm. you know, for a hundred autumns. That's mm. the marriage contract that our marriage will last for a hundred autumn. So that that's based on conversations with young couples. Wow. Um, I, so my business has been to sort of help create some of the infrastructure, some of the systems, as much as it's been hers to create pretty much an educational system, you know, uh, so that our children would grow up in the movement that we would like them to grow up in,
0: mm.
3: and. A big part of that has been helping them to find fun in spiritual life through theater, wow. music, drama, you know, to um, not artificially increase the level of renunciation or discipline or austerity, but to for children to find. There's one thing we attempted to do in the past, I feel, was to give children an adult level yeah. of spiritual discipline. Wow! Right, and rather than an age-appropriate, yeah. you know, engagement.
2: Yeah.
3: And so, their raising up in Krishna consciousness has always been that, you know, music is fun, dance is fun, theater is fun, games are fun. Yeah. Uh, what else? Cooking well, is fun. Yeah, but All also these different elements. To, are...
1: Yeah, also to give them, you know, educational qualification. And uh, so that they can also contribute to the world in whatever way it could be spiritually through helping people through meditation, or it could be through, you know, being a lawyer or whatever, you know, uh, not the lawyers, <laughs> 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 you know, but like making a contribution to society, whereas before it was right. like, okay, we're not, you know, a lot of young younger children felt that they didn't get a proper education.
3: Right.
1: And they, you know, they they came out of Gurkhole with no skills.
3: Because um, all the good people are in here. Yeah. And all the bad people are out yeah, there. That's right. It was right. Funny, it was that, Which yeah. is not the reality of the situation. as soon as they're old enough to understand that that's not true, <laughs> everything, that you've ever them, everything that you've ever taught them is highly suspect.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, mm-hmm. uh, This is a weird. I'm only thinking of this question now because I want to respect your time. I think you have to go soon. But um, mm-hmm. I'm kind of, I mean, 40 years is an epic for our generation. And, um, and it's an amazing, uh, it's an amazing achievement, honestly. And I'm kind of just wanting to hear like your own appreciation of the other after watching and being with each other and watching each other for 40 years. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure there's been tons of, um issues and so on but you've you've given us a lot of wisdom (laughs) on how to navigate that you've given us at least a lot of tools how to navigate that and i'm Mm -hmm. i don't know just it's just coming to my heart to ask that i'm touched hearing from both of you it's coming Mm to my heart to ask this like what are some of the yeah kind of core appreciations after 40 years together which is Mm
3: an amazing achievement can i just say well before we begin that i spoke to i spoke to george harrison's wife uh i said you're married for a long time she said yes it's easy to stay married for a long time i said what's the secret she said just don't get divorced (laughs) wow but anyway yeah
1: well (laughs) i really appreciate that my husband only spends money on books not a spender he lets me manage the finance and he only spends money on books which how could I complain if he spends money on books <laughs> um so you know because some men they just whittle away you know they, they're just free and easy with money and all that or maybe some women are as well but um I appreciate that I appreciate it. my husband's honesty um he's a very honest really honest person like he never even likes to return something to a shop because he feels like it's like I bought it at, so he's just like a totally um uh has so much integrity and honesty. The integrity really I appreciate and obviously as you've heard today, his his <laughs> ability to deeply reflect on, on on issues um in a very balanced way. Um uh, but you know I think I can also say because you know we have this conception of like Vedic wife or whatever, and I, I I feel like I have very happily most for the most part served my husband um in in whichever ways um we're you know cooking and and other things you know but uh he's also allowed me to uh fulfill my own kind of ambitions and do the things that I wanted to do he's never held me back really from um you know pursuing the things that I wanted to to do and i really um honor and appreciate that that you you know you allowed me we did work together for many years um doing you know congregational preaching work and uh ministering to the community and we still do that but he allowed me to kind of you know um yeah sometimes it worked sometimes it didn't work you know sometimes couples work well together so yeah i I think he allowed me to have my own journey also as part of ours and I mean, we've, had, we've had quite an adventure together, I think, I know, over
3: the <laughs> 40 years. <laughs>
1: 40
3: years of fun.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we can say that now. Okay, we're getting near the end.
3: <laughs> I, I, wow. I would say um, that my wife has always found something of value in me. Has always been the encourager. always been the inspiration, and a very hard worker as well. Very hard worker. She's more Mm. determined than I am. If we do create a goal together, her determination will see it through to the end. So I'm very appreciative of that. Mm. And she's been very principled and moral and Mm. virtuous, and always has an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> oh, <man>. which i'm <laughs> always which i'm always eager to hear
0: well for the sake of your time we'll we'll let you go we know you have some other engagements um this has been an, an absolutely beautiful enlightening experience and um Someone, Matt, was expressing on Facebook, thank you for the gift of this conversation. Um, indeed, you have given us a great gift with your, with your wisdom and your realization. Um, yeah, real Vigyan, and we're, we're very, very grateful for that. Thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you for all that you're doing, um, because I, I think you are uh, creating a space for really uh, amazingly um, necessary conversations within our community. Mm-hmm of uh, devotees and um yeah of words your service <laughs>
0: Jai. thank, thank you, Mata. you
1: for having us
0: thank you. all right Hare Krishna everyone we're we're well <laughs> let's just quickly say um on uh, Sunday at 130 EST we will be having our final episode of the year um entitled 108 <laughs> shades of gray um a little <laughs> bit earlier <laughs> <laughs> a little bit earlier this year we uh, we conducted some research um uh, pertaining to the the sexual values of committed couples in our society and where people um are really at as we've sensed a widespread societal melees in that regard. so we're going to be sharing our findings. we will be joined by Danya Rico as well as Brajananda and Kumari, another young couple who assisted us in this endeavor. so uh, tune in for that 1.30 EST. Um, that's just afternoon on Sunday um, right here on mm, the topic we didn't quite
1: explore but <laughs> we will tune in. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> Never young <people> that. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right, Hari Krishna everyone.